1966, Elvis Presley said, Why can't every day be like Christmas? Why can't this feeling go on endlessly? Christmas is really a special time of year for most people. Christmas is a special day for most people. It's special because family gets together. It's special because we get to eat big. It's special because we get to pass gifts around as tokens of our affection for each other. It's just a very special day. For much of the world, it's a special day, however, because it's considered to be Jesus' birthday. And they celebrate Jesus' birthday by putting up the trees and putting out the presents and and all of the things that go along with that and adding in the story of Jesus' birth. And the question that I think we need to ask is, what does the Bible say about that? Does the Bible provide any teaching about Christmas as a holiday? Does it provide any teaching about Christmas as the day of Jesus' birth? What what really should we do with this day? And I'd like to, to talk with you for just a few moments tonight about that issue of the birth of Jesus, of Christmas, and what we should really do to celebrate those things. Before we get into that, would you bow with me, please? Almighty God and Father in heaven, we praise your name because you are awesome and powerful and amazing. And we are so thankful that you indeed brought Jesus into this world. We are thankful for his birth. We rejoice in his birth. And we give you honor and glory and praise for your Son who has come into the world, who has lived among us, died for us, and was resurrected so that we might have hope of eternity. Father, we pray that you would help us to glorify you your way. Help us to remember that what we do in word or deed must be done in the name of your Son, by his authority, with his approval. Help us to look to your word to see how it is that we can glorify you, because we understand that only by doing things your way are you truly glorified. Father, forgive us, because so often we turn to our own path and do our own thing, following our own way and our own will. Help us, Father, to overcome that and to simply submit to what your word says. Father, we're so thankful that you have sent your Son to die for us, showing your love. And we love you. It's through your Son that we pray. Amen. As we consider this, the first thing I want to talk to you about is what's the real issue here? When we talk about the issue of celebrating Christmas, what is the real issue? When I left the denominational world and became a Christian as a teenager, one of the things that I quickly learned is that many of the Bible stories that I had heard and read as a child in some of the books and and seen on some of the TV shows and videos just weren't right. They weren't accurate. They did not really tell what the Bible actually said about those things. And it was very frustrating to me because I had to relearn so many Bible stories based on what the Bible really said instead of based on what somebody's version of it in a, in a video or in a book said, which, which is one of the reasons I really don't care for a lot of the videos that, that come out in the little kids' storybooks, because they, they don't always tell the Bible story accurately. And, and one of the ones that most amazed me was learning the fact that the common story of Jesus' birth, typically in our world, and, and the way I was taught it in the denomination, the Christmas story, is not told the way the Bible says it is. There are all kinds of things in that story that just aren't accurate. And and you know the things I'm talking about. Now we hear about that there were three wise men, but the Bible doesn't say anything about three and about the number. We recognize that in addition to that, the the wise men supposedly came the night Jesus was born. And we know from the Bible that's not true. The wise men came at some other time. 
possibly even up to the point where Jesus was two years old. And so every nativity scene that we see that shows shepherds and wise men there at the same time are not telling what the Bible actually said. We know that in Bible times that there was nothing mentioned about Jesus being born in a stable. In fact, it was probably in an open area. Maybe if it was enclosed, I've heard some say, you know, maybe by a mountainside or a cave or something, but we just don't know exactly that situation and how that, how that all happened. We just don't know those things. And so for a long time, I heard sermons and I talked to people about how wrong it is to get all those things wrong. But then it dawned on me, that's not really the real issue. Yes, it's important to make sure that we tell the Bible stories accurately. But if we get out there and we convince people to tell the Bible story accurately, that doesn't change anything about the celebration of Christmas, other than they might just tell the birth story of Jesus more accurately. That's not the real issue. Would you like to know what the real issue is here? Why it's important that we talk about this? Because I know that there are a lot of people today that say, you know, really it's not a big deal. We shouldn't worry about this. Why do you, why do you waste time with this? We probably have visitors that are going to get mad. Why would you even talk about this? I'll tell you why. Because the real issue here is, is Jesus Lord of our life and worship? That's the issue. And really, brethren, that's the issue on so many questions that we ask when it comes to the issue of dealing with biblical authority. Is Jesus the Lord of our life and our worship? Because if Jesus is the Lord of our life and our worship, how are we going to live and how are we going to worship Him? His way. And when Jesus is the Lord of our life and our worship, we're going to get into His Word and learn what He wants. We're not just going to do anything we want just because it seems good, just because it's fun or exciting or or other folks like it or it's attractive to people. We're going to do things based on what God has said in His Word. Brethren, this is the real issue here. Is Jesus really the Lord of our life and our worship? In Luke chapter 6 and verse 46, In Luke chapter 6 and verse 46, Jesus said, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things that I say? Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 17. In Colossians chapter 3 and verse 17, Paul wrote, Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Why do you call me Lord and not do what I say? Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Jesus is the Lord of our life, we're going to do everything in His name. We're going to do everything by His authority. And if He is not authorized, if He is not equipped, then we're not going to do it, no matter how fun and attractive it is to us. Second Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. And if your kids have been coming to the Bible drill, they've memorized this because it's such an important verse. It says, all Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. Did you catch that? The Scripture equips us for every good work. If we want to do the things that, Jesus is authorized, if Jesus is going to be the Lord of our lives, and we get into the Scripture and we find that every good work is right there. And so we ask ourselves the question, since we want Jesus to be Lord of our life, and we want to celebrate and rejoice in Him, and we want to honor Him His way, we have to ask ourselves the question, did Jesus ever authorize or equip us to worship Him by celebrating His birthday? 
Because if he did, we better do it. But here's a very interesting thing. You can read from cover to cover in this book, upside down, backwards, front ways, it doesn't matter, and not one single time do you ever find that Jesus ever says that our responsibility in order to glorify and honor Him is to celebrate His birthday. Very interestingly, the Bible never even tells us when His birthday is. We don't even know. Nothing in Scripture says anything about celebrating His birthday. Nothing in Scripture even tells us when it took place. How can we remotely say that Jesus has authorized the celebration of His birthday by having a holiday? It's just not there. And so the question is, is Jesus Lord of my life? Am I going to do what He's authorized? Or am I going to come up with something that's really fun because I like it, and I'm going to do that to worship Him? You know, interestingly, there's not even a good historical reason for putting His birthday on Christmas, on December 25th. Listen to this. This quote comes from uh, Encyclopedia Britannica. It says, There is no certain tradition of the date of Christ's birth. The exact circumstances of the beginning of the Christmas day remain obscure. Then in Encyclopedia Americana it says, the reason for establishing December 25th as Christmas is somewhat obscure, but it is usually held that the day was chosen to correspond to pagan festivals that took place around the time of the winter solstice when the days begin to lengthen to celebrate the rebirth of the sun. You know, this is very interesting. When we start trying to look for authority to try to worship Jesus this way, we don't find anything about any of this stuff in the Scripture, but we find it all over the place when it came to pagan idol worship. This is the kind of stuff they did all the time to worship idols. But we don't ever once see it used to worship Jesus. Even the day that it's set on was set because of the pagan idolatrous feasts that were going on. Man, there's, there's different reasons for that that folks report. Some would suggest that the Christians wanted to celebrate this, but they didn't want to, they didn't want to stand out and, and, and look different. And so they set it on a day when everybody else would be feasting too. Of course, that doesn't really sound like the early Christians that we've read about. Others suggest that they did it in order to try to attract them. Well, we're not ever going to, you know, we're not ever going to get those pagans in here unless we start having a little fun. You know, that sounds kind of like folks today, doesn't it? We're not ever going to get those folks in those denominations unless church starts being a whole bunch of fun. They've been doing that ever since the second and third century. We can't get these pagans unless we have some fun, so let's have a feast day. And, well, we can't let it be about the rebirth of the sun, so let's be about the rebirth of the sun. Did you get that play on words? For the idols, it was sun, S-U-N. For us, S-O-N. That's the problem with speaking it. You can't see that. You have to read that. But there's, there's no authority for this. Period. And, you know, the reality is that ought to just end it for us when it comes to trying to celebrate Jesus' birthday. Now, I hope you've noticed that I've tried to be very careful to say celebrating Jesus' birthday because I'll be honest with you. I think we should celebrate Jesus' birth. I think we should celebrate and rejoice in Jesus' birth. There's nothing about celebrating and rejoicing at Jesus' birthday. We're going to talk a little bit more about that in a moment. When we think about this concept of authority, one of the problems that we find is all the authorization. If we were going to try to make any of the things that we do at Christmas, that our world does at Christmas, and make it a religious thing, we don't find authority for any of it in the Scripture, but you find it all over the place in pagan idolatry. And we just need to come to grips with that. Christmas is a holiday with pagan roots. 
some of the early religious people tried to make it a Christian holiday. And it's been shifted and changed all the way along. But we just have to come to grips with this. Christmas is a holiday with pagan roots. We've already noticed that the date is a holiday with pagan roots. Again, here's the New Catholic Encyclopedia. said the true birth date of Christ is unknown. The worldwide census reported in Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 2, cannot be substantiated. By the late 2nd century, different groups of Christians held divergent ideas on the date of Christ's birth, January 6th or 10th, April 19th or 20th, May 20th or November 18th, with no evidence for the exact date of Christ's birth and no clear proof of the date at which the feast began to be celebrated, nor its rationale, liturgical historians have developed two non-competitive theories. And it goes on and talks about the theories. It gets pretty technical, actually, in this encyclopedia. But the point that I want you to notice, they have no idea when it happened. And, you know, the real issue here is not that, oh, you shouldn't do it on December 25th because we don't know that it was on December 25th. The real issue is, you'd think if Jesus wanted us to celebrate his birthday, he'd have told us when to do it. I mean, I can tell you when I want you to celebrate my birthday. June 9th. And if you missed it, you can go ahead and give me gifts now. But, Jesus, you think, if he wanted us to celebrate his birthday, would have told us when. And he didn't. So it doesn't matter arguing about which one of these dates it's better to have the celebration on. The point is, there's no authority for it. And interestingly enough, the day that it got settled on didn't come from the Bible. It came from pagan sources. Saturnalia and winter solstice and other issues. A holiday with pagan roots, the tree. We love Christmas trees. Christmas trees are beautiful. I love passing by houses and seeing Christmas trees. It's great. But listen, you've got to come to grips with this. The Christmas tree is something that comes from pagan roots. I've got several things I'd like to share with you about this. Look at this from Encyclopedia Britannica. The use of evergreen trees, wreaths, and garlands as a symbol of eternal life was an ancient custom of the Egyptians, Chinese, and Hebrews. Tree worship common among the pagan Europeans survived after their conversion to Christianity in the Scandinavian customs of decorating the house and barn with evergreens at the new year to scare away the devil and of setting up a tree for the birds during Christmas time. The Christmas tree has its roots in pagan tree worship. It just does. I know there's some other things that are brought into it and how it, how it moved its way into Christianity, but the reality is it comes from pagan tree worship. Here in, at www.history.com, and that's not the full address. I've got the full address in, uh, in the outline. It's actually something like three lines long by the time you navigate to this actual page that has this. But on that site, the quote says, Long before the advent of Christianity, plants and trees that remained green all year had a special meaning for people in the winter. Just as people today decorate their homes during the festive season with pine, spruce, and fir trees, ancient people hung evergreen boughs over their doors and windows, in many countries, it was believed that evergreens would keep away witches, ghosts, evil spirits, and illness. It goes on. In the northern hemisphere, the shortest day and longest night of the year falls on December 21st or December 22nd, and it's called the winter solstice. Many ancient people believed that the sun was a god and that winter came every year because the sun god had become sick and weak. They celebrated the solstice because it meant that at last the sun god would begin to get well. Evergreen boughs reminded them of all the green plants that would grow again when the sun god was strong and summer would return. The ancient Egyptians worshipped a god called Ra, who had the head of a hawk and wore the sun as a blazing disc in his crown. 
at the solstice. When Ra began to recover from the illness, the Egyptians filled their homes with green palm rushes, which symbolized for them the triumph of life over death. Early Romans marked the solstice with a feast called the Saturnalia in honor of Saturn, the god of agriculture. The Romans knew that the solstice meant that soon farms and orchards would be green and fruitful. To mark the occasion, they decorated their homes and temples with evergreen boughs. In northern Europe, the mysterious Druids, the priests of the ancient Celts, also decorated their temples with evergreen boughs as a symbol of everlasting life. The fierce Vikings in Scandinavia thought that evergreens were the special plant of the sun god, Balder. That was rather long, but did you get the point? I mean, have you ever just wondered, why, why that tree? Why at that time of year? Well, because that was the tree that was special at that time of year for a long time. Because it was so special to the sun god. It was evergreen. It demonstrated that life would continue. It demonstrated that the sun god would always come back. And so it's, no, it's, it's, it's really no surprise that those would be used during a time of year where they're celebrating the rebirth of the sun. That's where it came from. A holiday with pagan roots. The Yule Log. Now, this is not something we necessarily do in our homes much anymore, but the Yule Log has been an important tradition in, in Christmas. Another popular ritual was the burning of the Yule Log, which is strongly embedded in the pagan worship of vegetation and fire, as well as being associated with magical and spiritual powers at www.christmastime.com. In Encyclopedia Americana, it says, burning the Yule Log was adapted to English custom from the ancient Scandinavian practice of kindling huge bonfires in honor of the winter solstice. And then again, at stcharlescristmas.com, burning rites in Europe were common during the Dark Ages, and the Yule Log is most likely another example of a pagan ritual being slowly converted into a Christian tradition. On the darkest day of the year, the winter solstice, peasants would light a large log on fire to help keep away the evil spirits as they waited through the longest night for the sun to rise. This marked the sun's victory over darkness. The days would now grow longer. The cinders from the burnt log were thought to protect homes from lightning and the evil powers of the devil. Later, as Christianity spread, the tradition became more closely associated with Christmas, especially in England, where Father Christmas is often seen carrying the Yule log. In pagan times, different woods were burned to produce different effects. Aspen invokes understanding of the grand design. Birch signifies new beginnings. Holly inspires visions and reveals past lives. Oak brings healing, strength, and wisdom. Pine signifies prosperity and growth. Willow invokes the goddess to achieve desires. So you see, again, where do these traditions come from? We're just going to have to come to grips with the fact that the traditions that surround our Christmas holiday have pagan, idolatrous roots. Holly and mistletoe. We all like mistletoe, right? The Celtic culture of the British Isles revered all green plants, but particularly mistletoe and holly. These were important symbols of fertility and were used for decorating their homes and altars, according to christmastime.com. You want to see how things get Christianized? Encyclopedia Americana said, The idea of using evergreens at Christmas time also came to England from pre-Christian Northern European beliefs. Celtic and Teutonic tribes honored these plants at their winter solstice festivals as symbolic of eternal life, and the Druids ascribed magical properties to the mistletoe in particular. The evergreen holly was worshipped as a promise of the sun's return, and some say that Christ's crown of thorns was made of holly. You see, that's how we make it go ahead and move in. We know, we've been using this holly for a long time, but now we're Christians. We've got to quit using it as, in honor of our pagan gods. Oh, I know. We'll say that's what the crown of thorns was made of. And so now it's okay. Now it's something that Christians do. 
You see how that happened? But where did it really come from? Pagan roots. Here's a great story uh, from gods, goddesses, and mythology about mistletoe. Many people think that the tradition of kissing under the mistletoe is linked to the Norse myth of Balder, the god of beauty. The myth relates how Balder dreamed of his own death. His mother, Frigga, asked every animal and plant to help keep her son safe. But she forgot to ask the mistletoe, and Balder was killed by a mistletoe arrow. Mistletoe was widely seen as a symbol of fertility, mainly because it was believed to rejuvenate the trees on which it grew. One version of the story tells how Frigga finally revived her son after three days. And in her happiness, kissed everyone in sight. She proclaimed that mistletoe would never be used for evil. She commanded that anyone who stood under mistletoe would kiss as a sign of love, conquering all. Where did it come from? Pagan roots. From Norse paganism. Even the gifts stem back to paganism. Now we know, oh, no, 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 they do gifts because of the wise men. Well, that, yeah, that's how it got, that's how we make it something that's Christian. But really, that was something they were doing all along anyway and wanted to keep doing. Notice, the custom of giving gifts to relatives and friends on a special day in winter probably began in ancient Rome and northern Europe. In these regions, people gave each other small presents as part of their year-end celebration. And then, of course, we have the fact that the, the Catholic St. Nicholas comes into it. By 1100, St. Nicholas had become a popular symbol of gift-giving in many European countries. According to legend, the, he brought presents to children on the eve of his feast day, December 6th. Non-religious figures replaced St. Nicholas in certain countries soon after the Reformation, and December 25th became the day for giving gifts. So we've got two big things that brought gift-giving as part of Christmas. Number one, that's just what the pagans had been doing all the way along, and the Christians wanted to keep doing it. And number two, well, by the time you get into the Catholic Church in the 1100s, we've got this saint who did it, and so we're going to bring that in as part of our honoring of that saint. So basically, what have we learned? We just have to come to grips. Christmas, as we celebrate it, has pagan roots. There's nothing involved in our Christmas that remotely has authority from Jesus Christ in celebrating His birthday or in celebrating His birth. So what are some applications that we have here? Number one, the first application. Neither churches nor individuals are given authority to celebrate Jesus' birth through Christmas. And I said that very clearly because I want you to understand, neither churches nor individuals have authority to celebrate Jesus' birth through Christmas. Because I, I know there's been a lot of Christians that say, well, no, 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 I know the church doesn't do it, but it's okay if me and my family celebrate Christmas as Jesus' birth. No. There's no authority in the Scripture for you to celebrate Jesus' birth by putting up a tree with lights on it and handing out presents and putting in a Yule log and doing all those things. There's no authority for that. Not one single time do we find anything in Scripture that authorizes celebrating Jesus' birth in that way. It's just not there. Remember what it said in John chapter 4, verses 23 and 24? John chapter 4, beginning at verse 23, says, But the hour is coming, and is now here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit. Those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. If we're going to worship God, we've got to do it in spirit and in truth. We don't get to make things up. We don't get to do whatever we want. Listen, I know Christmas is fun. It'd be great to say, oh, this is religious. We're doing this in honor of Jesus. But nothing in Scripture authorizes that. It's just not there. 
And I know that in our society, it's amazing to question that. There might be some folks here tonight saying, I can't believe he's saying this. It's just so ingrained in us that, that Christmas is just it's supposed to be about Jesus' birth. But there's nothing in Scripture about it. There's no authority for either churches or individuals to celebrate Jesus' birth through Christmas. The second thing I think we need to recognize is that we should celebrate and rejoice over Jesus' birth, but we should do so scripturally. We should celebrate Jesus' birth. We should rejoice Jesus' birth. After all, if Jesus hadn't been born, he couldn't die. It's a part of his life. Shouldn't we celebrate and rejoice over every aspect of Jesus' life? Of course we should. But we need to do it scripturally. Look, when it comes to celebrating Jesus' birth, I think we should do it. In Luke chapter 1, Elizabeth rejoiced that Jesus was going to be born. In Luke chapter 1 and verse 42, she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women. This is Luke 1, 42. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. So I guess it's not just Elizabeth, it's also John rejoicing at the birth of Jesus. The angels rejoiced at the birth of Jesus. In Luke chapter 2 and verse 9, an angel of the Lord appeared to the shepherds, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom He is pleased. The angels rejoiced at the birth of Jesus. They said it was a, a, an event of great joy. We should take joy in the fact that Jesus was born, just as the angels did. And praise God for it. The, the shepherds, they rejoiced. In verse 15, when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. Then they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. Then all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, look at this, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told them. Should we glorify God for the birth of Jesus? Should we praise God for the birth of Jesus? Absolutely. Anna and Simeon rejoiced at the birth of Jesus. Again, in Luke chapter 2, beginning at verse 25, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation of the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. 
And then we have Anna in verse 36. There was a prophetess Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of Him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. She began to give thanks to God for the birth of Jesus, the birth of the Savior. I think we should celebrate the birth of Jesus. We should rejoice. It is an event of great joy. It ought to produce joy in us. But how do we celebrate it? Do we celebrate it by making things up? Or do we celebrate it the way God demonstrates we're supposed to do that? How do we celebrate anything in Jesus' life? Is it not exactly what we've seen here through songs and prayers? Through giving thanks to God? Through praising God? Through blessing God? Through glorifying God? Singing about the Savior's birth. I love that song. Sing and rejoice at the Savior's birth. That's great. You know, it, it really, I think it's a sad thing that so many songs have been labeled Christmas songs, so we don't like to sing them any time in the year. But the reality is some of those songs are great ways to praise God for the birth of Jesus, to glorify God because He sent His Son into the world. And isn't that how we rejoice in every aspect of Jesus' life? by giving praise to God, glorifying it in song and prayer, by teaching the Scripture, by reading what it says, and by teaching it accurately. You know, the reality is, in Scripture, there's only one event in Jesus' life that we celebrate in a way different from that. And that, of course, is His death. There's only one thing in, in the New Testament, one event in Jesus' life, that is set apart to be celebrated in some way other than that, and that's His death. And we know that we celebrate that, commemorating it, through taking the Lord's Supper. And we do that on a weekly basis. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul said, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning at verse 23, he says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. This is the only event in Jesus' life that we celebrate in any way other than merely songs of praise and, and prayer and, and teaching the Word. But we should celebrate Jesus' birth. We just need to make sure... We do it scripturally. The third thing, and, and I will, I'll go ahead and say right here, that what I'm about to share with you, I'm going to share with you my opinion on this issue and where I am. And I know that there are many of my brethren who are good and honest and sincere who disagree with me on this, and I don't have a problem with that. But I think that we can celebrate this holiday, even though some folks say it has religious significance, I think we can, we can celebrate it without religious significance. We can celebrate it as a secular holiday. That's why I'm wearing a tie that has Christmas trees on. I'm not setting up a tree in honor of Jesus' birth. I just think a tree with lights on it's pretty. And I don't think there's anything wrong with us having secular holidays that we participate in. Fourth of July, Memorial Day, Labor Day, Thanksgiving. None of, these, none of these holidays, there's nothing wrong with us being involved in any of these holidays, as long as we're not trying to do them as some sort of concept of worshiping God through these holidays. Interestingly enough, in some of the sources, Encyclopedia 
of religious rites, rituals, and festivals said like Easter, talking about Christmas, like Easter, it is celebrated as a secular holiday and a religious holiday. Again, the same encyclopedia. Many non-Christians take joy in the holiday, even accepting many Christian or Christianized customs, such as Christmas trees and Christmas songs. Basically, what I want you to notice from this is, I understand, if you don't want to be involved in the Christmas celebration because you're afraid that some people will think that you're celebrating Jesus' birth that way, I completely understand that. But in my study, in my opinion, and maybe in years past that was a real concern, but the reality is in our society today, nobody thinks, oh, they've got a Christmas tree, they must be celebrating Jesus' birth. People don't, don't think that way anymore because there's so much of, of non-religion involved in this Christmas holiday. And so, in my opinion, I don't think that just by putting lights on our house or putting a tree up that folks assume we're doing something we're not. The second thing that I want you to realize about this, and I guess this is where a lot of folks would have some real problems, when they learn about the pagan roots of all this stuff, the idea is, well, I can't do that. We can't put up a tree. That comes from pagan idolatry. We can't have a mistletoe or, or a yule log or gifts or anything because that comes from pagan idolatry. Well, just because something came from pagan idolatry in the past doesn't mean that it still has that significance today. And the fact is, there's not a single person out there, when I put my Christmas tree up, thinks I'm worshiping trees. Nobody thinks that. Does anybody here think that they're worshiping trees when they do that? The fact is, there's nobody that thinks, boy, when you pass out gifts at Christmas, you're honoring Saturn from Saturnalia because that's what the Romans used to do. Past roots do not necessarily mandate present practice. And I'll just, I'll just tell you, if you want to push this, if you want to claim, no, nobody can be involved in this because of the past, here's some things you have to be careful of. Number one, I don't, don't ever, ever, ever call today Sunday ever again. Because it would be awful for you to honor the sun on sun's day. Tomorrow must not ever be again considered Monday in honor of the moon. The moon's day. Tuesday, in honor of the German goddess Tiu. Woden's day, in honor of the German god Woden. Thor's day, in honor of the German god Thor. Freya's day, in honor of the German god Freya, or Frigga, which we read about earlier, Saturn's day, in honor of the Roman god Saturn. You must never, ever, ever have your new year again in January, in honor of the Roman god Janus. You must never again celebrate, oh, this would be tough for Maria because her birthday is in March, in honor of the god Mars, can't have March anymore. June, in honor of the Roman goddess Juno. You can't, can't do that. May, in honor of the Roman goddess Maya. And, of course, July and August, in honor of the Roman Caesars who were deified, Julius and Augustus. You may not realize this, but there's a whole lot of things that we do that stem from pagan idolatry. But in our day, we know they don't mean those things. We don't worry about those things because not a single one of us ever thought that, oh, if I call Monday Monday, folks are going to think I'm honoring the moon. Nobody thinks that. And so just because something has a pagan past, that doesn't mandate how it's being used today. Just because I've got Christmas trees on my tie doesn't mean I'm worshiping trees. And nobody thinks that I am. And I guess I should be careful. If I say nobody, there might be somebody out there that, that tries to press that. But the common people do not think I'm worshiping trees when I put a Christmas tree up. So 
past pagan practice does not mandate modern present practice. And then there's a third thing. I know folks are going to say, okay, Edwin, now you've said we've got to have authority. Where are we going to have authority for this? I'd like you to look at Colossians. Colossians chapter 2, and we're going to read beginning at verse 20. But let me set up what I want to explain to you here. I don't know how many times when I've talked with people about the concept of biblical authority, they've asked me questions. All right, Edwin, if everything has to be done in the name of Jesus Christ, that means having authority for it. Where's the biblical authority for brushing your teeth? Where's the biblical authority for photography? And my answer is right here in Colossians 2, 20 through 23. I want you to notice what it says. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings? These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity of the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. What Paul is pointing out there is that Christianity was not set up to be a rule, a, a religion of don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. He says we're not looking through the Scripture necessarily to define a specific verse for every single thing that we're allowed to do as individuals. He said what I'm concerned about is restricting you from doing things that indulge the flesh or promote the indulgence of the flesh. Brushing your teeth doesn't promote the indulgence of the flesh. Photography doesn't promote the indulgence of the flesh. Setting up a tree with lights on it does not promote the indulgence of the flesh. God's not worried about that. And so if we can celebrate Christmas in a way that's not indulging the flesh, we're all right. Now, I do realize there's some things we've got to be concerned about here. Several people asked today if I was going to preach on gluttony tonight. You know, now that's something we might have to be worried about with the way we celebrate Christmas. Materialism, that might be something we have to be worried about. But just the idea of celebrating a secular holiday where we set up a tree, put out lights, hand gifts back and forth, those things, that, those things don't have to do with the indulgence of the flesh. God wasn't worried about those things any more than he was worried about brushing our teeth or photography or, or any other number of things that we could put under that list. Finally, I think we need to capitalize on those who do view Christmas religiously. Sadly, what all too often happens is we learn this and then we start getting upset at all the people out there and how awful they are because they're celebrating Christmas as Jesus' birthday. The only time they go to church is at Christmas and Easter. I want you to look in Acts chapter 17. In Acts chapter 17, Paul is walking through Athens and he sees all over the place these shrines and statues to false gods. And he even sees one in verse 23 to the unknown God. Now Paul, instead of looking at the Athenians and saying, you guys are awful, you're just a bunch of idolaters, how terrible it is, he capitalized on this unknown God. Instead of saying, oh, it's so awful, you guys are so into idolatry, you think there might be a God you don't know, you've got a statue for him. He said, that's the God I want, you to, I want to talk to you about. Look, in Acts 17.23, For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God, what therefore you worship is unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being the Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by hands, nor is he served by human hands. And from that connecting point, he then began to teach them about the only true God. Do you see what Paul did here? 
Paul, instead of taking this and just using it as a dividing wedge, he capitalized on their belief in this unknown God in order to be able to talk to them about the truth. I'll tell you, I think we as Christians make a big mistake in December. We want to make sure that nobody ever would remotely think that we believe this is Jesus' birth, and so we're going to put dividing wedges between us and everybody. How about capitalizing on it? How about taking this time when we have to admit more people are interested in talking about Jesus, more people are interested in attending our assemblies during the month of December. How about we take that time and make a connection? And, and you know what? I'm really glad that you're thinking about Jesus right now. I'd like to talk to you about Jesus. I'm really glad that you're thinking about worshiping God during this time. I'd like to talk to you about worshiping God. In fact, I'd like to invite you to, to an assembly where me and my brothers and sisters are going to get together and worship God and use that as a stepping stone to start teaching the truth, just as Paul did on Mars Hill. I think we can do that. I think we make a mistake to try to push people away because of the way they celebrate Christmas. Let's start trying to draw them in so that we can teach them the truth. And what better time when folks are really thinking about Jesus and thinking about God and wanting to attend. And this could be a great month for us to get people to come and to talk to them about the truth about Jesus, how to truly to worship and honor him. So let's capitalize on that. Well, I know that, you know, for some folks, this is that age-old sermon that they've heard every year and, and sometimes they say, oh, I'm, you know, I get so sick and tired of hearing this. And I, I know some folks, they say, I just don't understand what the big deal is. I hope I've demonstrated what the big deal is. It really is a big deal. Is Jesus going to be Lord of our life? Are we going to let him dictate how we worship and honor him? Or are we going to do it however we want? That's, that's the issue. And I hope that we will always stand firm on the idea that we're just going to do what Jesus wants based upon his word. Because we only glorify God when we glorify Him His way. 